Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Thank you to those of you who are continuing to text in this morning at 877-933-2484. If you are listening in this hour and you didn't hear us in the last hour and you just want to be counted as, hey, I'm out here listening, just text me at 877-933-2484. We're just trying to get a sense of, like, who's out there listening and um, uh, and would you be, you know, sort of counted among us by texting in. So there you go. Uh, text anything, literally anything. I had a bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit texted to me by one listener. That that was kind of fun. That's a very uh, healthy way to text a biscuit or to offer me a biscuit is to text it. Uh, another um, sent me uh, just, you know, morning greetings, the Bible passage they're reading, others what they're up to today, and some just the word tribe or I'm here or count me in. So there you go. Text anything you want to 877-933-2484 this morning. All right, we are um, continuing to track the weakening but still dangerous hurricane, now tropical storm, uh, Laura. And um, so let's see, I'm just going to read a quick update here um, where she's at and what she's up to. Remnants of Hurricane Laura, which unleashed heavy rain and twisters. Those would be, um, it was like hundreds of tornadoes is one, one of the ways that this has been described. Hundreds of miles inland. Um, and yes, it has been a deadly, catastrophic storm, um, and it continues to move through now the, uh, well, through Arkansas. So we're, um, we are still going to deal with um, this issue. Um, it's going to move through the Tennessee Valley region um, and then expected to sort of close in on the mid-Atlantic states tomorrow. And so um, we're going to be dealing with this storm for some time. Louisiana and Texas, Arkansas have already dealt with it, not just damaging winds, but um, severe, um, severe, I mean, there are whole neighborhoods lying in ruin. And so I know that for those of you in Iowa who just dealt a couple of weeks ago with the derecho, um, you are still digging out, recovering. Um, Our prayers are with you. For those of you listening in California, um, and returning for the very first time to communities which now lie in ash, um, our hearts go out to you. Um, and let me just, you know, let me just say, people are dealing with difficulty in lots of places today. Uh, and when we think about disaster, it comes with lots of different definitions. There are those personal disasters that come in the form of a diagnosis or a phone call about a car accident or the choice that a person made um, whom you love maybe to take their own life. Um, Those are very, very personal, but they are disasters, and they are traumatizing. And they they require the same kind of attention, uh, mercy, and help that are required when a tornado or a hurricane or a derecho or a fire roars through our life, our home, our church, our community, our family, our nation. And so tomorrow is the 15th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. 
Jamie Ayton um, was a pastor who had just arrived on the Gulf Coast, um, and he arrived literally just in time for his church, his home, and his community to be decimated by Hurricane Katrina. And so as a survivor of that disaster, he became then um, a disaster expert and advocate. He now serves at the Wheaton Humanitarian Disaster Institute, and he's up next to talk about how each and every one of us can respond to disaster and how we can prepare to be resilient in the face of them. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Your plans still prosper. You've not forgotten us. You're with us in the fight and the flood. Joining me today, Dr. Jamie Ayton from Wheaton College's Humanitarian Disaster Institute. Jamie, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for having me, Carmen. Hey, let's lead off with uh, five ways to help after Hurricane Laura. I know that it's uh, it's uh, posted at Psychology Today. Let's uh, let's share let's share with folks. Well, I think it's really important that we want to make sure that. We always help in ways that don't cause accidental harm, but because of COVID-19, that becomes even more challenging, that it's easy for us to forget to take those extra safety precautions. So one of the first things I'd really recommend is that we do uh, continue to follow social distancing, to wear our mask, to practice good hand sanitizing, and to go those extra steps, even though it is going to be challenging and potentially awkward. Another key issue is to make sure that we don't respond in ways in which we become a spontaneous, unaffiliated volunteer. So don't be an SUV. And by this, what I mean is don't just jump in your car and take off to Louisiana to try to help right now. One of the things we want to make sure that we do is when we are responding, now I'm not necessarily talking about people directly in the communities impacted, but those who may have to travel or coming from a distance to volunteer, that you want to make sure you're always working through a trusted a volunteer organization. Maybe it's a local church, could be a national organization or a community organization. But look for those groups that are not only practicing uh, the best practices around disaster response, but also around COVID-19 safety. And then I think as Christians in particular, we always want to make sure that we're following the commandments that we see throughout scripture, and especially the, the call for us to walk humbly amongst those who are suffering. And so we want to help with humility, which helps to keep the focus on the other person that we're actually trying to provide care for and keeps us from making it all about ourselves. You know, sometimes we want to make it about us instead of the people that are actually hurting. And, and then the last thing that I would really offer up is that don't just give unsolicited goods at this time. That, yes, we are going to need to get goods down to the south. Uh, especially goods that have not traditionally always been used, you know, such as having the proper types of masking to keep people safe from COVID-19. And we know from research that very few people are prepared in general, let alone to have the resources on hand to deal with the global pandemic. But if we go out and just start buying and sending things, we're likely to make the pipeline of getting the goods down to the South even more challenging. Um, it may be that some organizations, it's easier for them to actually receive donations in, uh, in terms of monetary gifts which allows them to buy locally or to through their trusted resources and organizations that they get um, these types of things from. And so, you know, pause before you do this. And when organizations do come out and ask for us to send goods, then be ready to do so. But until then, be patient. And then I think throughout all of those steps that I just noted, we want to make sure that we don't view prayer just as a last resort, but prayer should be guiding each part 
um, of what I just outlined. All right. Well, prayer um, for most people listening, Jamie, is going to be not only their first response, but in many cases, um, the the way in which they will engage not only um, with the with our neighbors in the path of of Hurricane Laura, but those um, who have been in the path of the derecho in Iowa or the fires in California or the riots in Portland or Kenosha. Um, most of us will not pack up and physically go to one of these locations. Talk talk with us about not only the importance of prayer, but also the importance of how we come alongside others who are able to go. That, that's a really great point, um, Carmen, that we want to make sure that if we're how we interact in these times that we're not putting others' safety at risk. And so in some instances, actually going could cause harm to yourself or others. So again, that's why we want to look locally for guidance on how we can best get plugged into help. And you're 100% right that prayer is one of the things and one of the main ways that many people will respond. And we need prayer that I've too often seen where sometimes people say, all we can do now is pray. But I think that's not giving the full trust to God's capabilities, that prayer, we know God will answer those prayers. And also that sometimes by praying, that's how God works in us, that helps us to become aware of ways, like you said, that maybe we need to help in some other situations as well, that we need to make sure that we're not only helping after Hurricane Laura, but that we're also trying to provide support where we can to other crises that have been unfolding. So um, if let me just direct people to directly to your website, which is Jamie Ayton, J-A-M-I-E-A-T-E-N, JamieAyton.com, because from there, if you scroll down, you can click on the Hope and Resilience blog, and that actually pops you over to the Psychology Today um, link. Um, I, I'm appreciating, Jamie, um, that you are writing not only directly to those of us in the Christian community, but you are helping to broaden the message um, to others who might not be operating out of a, um, you know, out of a faith perspective. They might be, you know, secular individuals who are looking for ways to volunteer and to help. Talk with me about how, um, how you're doing that, because I actually think this is really helpful for Christians to know how to find their voice on secular platforms. Sure, I'd be glad to share on that. You know, that's one of the things that's really been really important to me in the way that I view my ministry and the ministry that we have at the Humanitarian Disaster Institute where I work at Wheaton College, that we want to make sure that we're helping everyone as best as we can. And so one of the things that we try to do is to understand what is it the, or what are the questions people are asking, whether they're Christian or not Christian, and how can we share best practices that are still always informed theologically and also scientifically, and to put them in ways that the listener can hear it, or I guess in this case, the reader um, can can hear the message that we're trying to get across to them. So we're trying to meet people with where they're at, but also then by doing that, to be able to bring them into thinking more theologically and to share Christ's love with those that may not hear that message otherwise. In some ways, I kind of think about it as uh, approaching it like a nerdy rock band. Uh, so this is my 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 approach at trying to to do rock music. I guess you know I remember my brother, who's much more cool than me, was in several bands growing up, and uh, sometimes he would play Christian gigs, and other times he'd play in secular audiences, but he always played in a way that tried to reach people. And because of that, he had a strong ministry. 
And so I'm doing the best I can with the nerd capabilities I have to try to reach people both in the Christian audience as well as secular audience. We, um, we here on this program think nerds are cool, so um, we're, we're glad to know you. All right, Jamie Aiton and I are going to return to this conversation in just a moment. We're going to talk about resilience. We're going to talk about um, how important resilience is, and Jamie knows a little bit about this, and we're going to, um, we're going to talk about um, bringing our own life experience of resilience to bear um, when others are maybe experiencing such things for the first time. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, rejoining the conversation now with Dr. Jamie Ayton from Wheaton College's Humanitarian Disaster Institute. You can find it at wheaton.edu. Um, Jamie, 15 years ago, uh, you you entered into this conversation about uh, disaster recovery and, and really personal and community resilience. So why don't you remind people a little about your story as we approach the 15th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina? With Hurricane Katrina's anniversary happening this Saturday, that, that's, that will exactly be 15 years to the day when I first got involved in doing this sort of work. I had just moved down to South Mississippi from the Chicagoland area just six days before Hurricane Katrina struck our community. So within weeks after going through Hurricane Katrina personally, then I ended up working with local churches throughout uh, Mississippi and over in New Orleans for the next five years, helping them by using research to understand how faith can help bolster resilience, as well as what are best practices churches can use to help in the aftermath of a disaster. And then a number of years later, at the age of 35, I was diagnosed and survived stage four colon cancer. And so I feel just really grateful to have no evidence of disease presently. And then I have a new disaster to add to the list, which just a couple of weeks ago, I was teaching on our very first day of class at HDI to our, in our master's program in humanitarian and disaster leadership. And about the end of day one, we actually had an EF1 tornado strike down just across the street from the window in the classroom in which I was teaching. Wow. Dude, people are not going to want to hang out with you. You know, I, I've always, I, I think there's something to that. You know, I had, when I first moved to Chicago, we ended up having one of the worst snowstorms that they'd had like in 20 years. So yeah, you probably don't want to be in my neighborhood. <laughs> well, we want you though um, on our side and helping us to understand um, not only disasters impact on us personally and as families and churches and communities, but also the importance of resilience. I think that this is a word Jamie, that has become a part of our vernacular, and it has to become um, more and more uh, a part of our lived experience. Talk with us about resilience. Over the last 15 years, I've been studying resilience, which uh, one way to define it is our ability to, to bounce back after going through a tragedy or some sort of hardship or adversity. And, and resilience can be thought of as both something that's innate, part of you know, some people seem to have a bit more of it than others just kind of naturally and seem to do better during difficult times without additional support. But then other times we can think of resilience also as a bit of like a muscle, something that we can exercise and develop over time. And so as we see the world becoming more and more unpredictable, and in the case of COVID-19 and Hurricane Laura, where they're actually occurring over top of one another, kind of a one-two punch, we need to focus on cultivating resilience in ourselves, our families, and our communities. I guess, you know, when I'm thinking about families facing right now, you know, they, they're in the midst of COVID. 
Um, many of them, if they have gone back to work, it's been fairly recently. If they have gone back to school, it's been very recently. Um, and now, you know, they've evacuated. Um, there is stress related to people who are already in fragile circumstance or already isolated because of COVID. And how do we accommodate them as we, um, you know, as we seek to protect, protect not only them, but uh, but those around them? I mean, this just feels like a really incredibly stressful moment in our common life. 100%. COVID-19, we know, has really amplified problems that already existed in each of us individually. You know, so maybe somebody was struggling with depression, or maybe there was a family where the marriage was already on the rocks, that, or in the community where maybe um, unaddressed racism was running rampant, that all of those types of challenges are going to be compounded because of COVID-19. And then to have that occur in the middle of a major natural disaster, we know from different studies that it's going to greatly exacerbate those symptoms and challenges even more. Where do you, um, where do you see hope? Where are, um, where are there evidences that you are aware of that would give us encouragement today in terms of the way that uh, Christians have been responding and are responding today to these, this very unique set of stressful circumstances? You know, one of the things that really gives me hope, you know, I mentioned just a few minutes ago about uh, working with our students and how their first day of class, we have a tornado that hits outside. But I remember afterwards just thinking that here's a group of 30 students that have chosen to go out into the world to pursue hard work, that the types of things that most people don't want to think about, they're willingly going into it. And that's what really brings me hope. It's not just our students, but it's Christians all around the world that are entering into those difficult places where no one else is willing to go. And so I think, you know, for me on a level, I've also often found hope uh, as I think back to the example of Christ, that no matter what we've gone through, Christ has already gone through and conquered whatever challenge may be ahead of us. Jamie, as as you and I prepare for what lies ahead, we put our trust in in one place and a sure foundation in Jesus Christ. Um, when you're having these conversations with non-believers, is there a way to talk about hope? Um, you know, I'm not saying short of talking about Jesus, because obviously I want to talk about Jesus, but sometimes having the Jesus conversation right up front is not the most sensitive thing to do. Like, how do you navigate that? One of the ways that I would recommend that Christians think about approaching this is to consider using what our team has developed that we refer to as the BLESS method. Uh, that's part of our spiritual first aid intervention that we've developed to help provide spiritual and emotional care in the aftermath of COVID-19 and other disasters. And by the BLESS method, what we try to highlight is that over the last 15 years of research, we found that most people's basic disaster needs that go unmet that cause the most distress are all interconnected and are also connected to spirituality, to our own faith. And so by meeting a specific tangible need that people have that's gone unmet, we're not only ministering to like their physical needs, but also to their spiritual needs that they may have. And I've often found that the best way to show Christ's love during this time is to meet people where they are and to care both for their spiritual needs and their physical needs. And so the BLESS method highlights really kind of five key steps of how we can help, which is to, to understand people's belongingness needs to understand and to be able to attend to people's livelihood needs, such as health or resources they might need, and then to their emotional needs, to their safety needs, and also to their spiritual needs. 
And in many ways, it's kind of like I like to think of our needs as a Rubik's Cube, that oftentimes they're complex. There's a lot of moving pieces, but they're all interconnected. So if you've ever worked on a Rubik's Cube puzzle, you know that it can be challenging and can feel overwhelming. But regardless, if you just focus in and push one tile, you're actually moving an entire side. And I think that's one of the best ways that we can help share the love of Christ, that we push on the tile that is the most pressing need that they have and are aware of. And that creates the opportunity for us to also be able to share faith and show Christ's love and mercy to those who are hurting. You can find all of the resources that Jamie just uh, talked about at Wheaton.edu. What you're looking for is the Humanitarian Disaster Institute. Um, He's reading there from uh, a COVID-19 spiritual first aid, faithful preparedness, not fearful panic sheet that is downloadable, and you can print it out. It's called the BLESS Method. Um, We talk about meeting the core needs of those around us. Jamie Ayton, thank you so much for joining us today um, and for all that you're doing on the front line of equipping us to respond well to the disasters we encounter today. Thank you so much, Carmen. Really appreciate being able to connect. Absolutely. We'll be right back. All right. So we might be familiar with the concept uh, and the reality of a geography in the Pacific called the Ring of Fire. Have you ever heard of the Ring of Fire? So it's this uh, portion of the Pacific Ocean under which there are literal... There's a literal ring of volcanoes, and they continue to erupt. In fact, if you recall, uh, just last year, there was a, or maybe it was year before last, a really significant eruption um, in Hawaii. Remember, um, you know, there was these flows of lava that went through neighborhoods all the way to the sea. Leonard Sweet actually uh, lives out there in the midst of the Ring of Fire. And in his new book, Rings of Fire, Walking in Faith Through a Volcanic Future, what he's helping all of us to see is that we now all live. We now all live in uh, a, a global ring of fire, right? So the world is now one global ring of fire. There are eruptions in all kinds of places and spaces. The church is still called to be the church in the midst of that. So how do we do that? Leonard Sweet is up next with Rings of Fire. We'll be right back. John 3:16. Millions quote it, only a handful trust it. This is Max Lakato. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Wary of a catch, perhaps? Cautioned by guarded friends? Desperation heightens our interest. When he asks for a divorce or she says it's over, when the coroner calls, the kids rebel, or the finances collapse, when desperation typhoons into your world, God's offer of a free flight home demands a second look. John 3.16 morphs from a nice verse to a life vest. Some of you are wearing it. For you, the passage comforts like your favorite blanket. Don't walk away from it. Give God your answer. Ephesians 3.17 promises... Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. This is Max Locato. I fell into a burning ring of fire. I went down, 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 and the flames went higher. And it burns, burns, burns. Dr. Lynn, Leonard Sweet joins me now. Um, hopefully, Lynn, that is on the soundtrack for the book Rings of Fire. Hey, it sure is. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? Uh, good morning. I'm well. I'm well. Um, so 
I could start this conversation by um, by asking you where the global pandemic falls in uh, the wild cards, black swans and game changing super volcanoes uh, <laughs> a portion of this conversation. But let's but let's set the conversation up for people. When you talk about there being rings of fire and now really one global ring of fire to what are you referring uh, that we're living in a culture where volcanoes will be erupting all the time, and we it's we've moved from a a fixed world in my lifetime to a flexible world to a fluid world, and now that fluid uh, is a uh, is is magma. It's lava. It's a hot fluid world where anything can happen at any moment. In fact, in the book, I actually said that there will come a time, this book came out in, what, November of last year, that um, there would come a time when when China would catch a, a virus and it would sneeze and would infect the whole world. And I had no idea how uh, <laughs> how soon that would come. But um, but that's the kind of world we're living in. That, and uh, Now, the good news is that uh, volcanic soil, which what the volcano leaves behind, is some of the most productive soil. And you get the best coffee from it. You get... You get the best vegetables from it. It's it's rich soil for growing things, but but you've got to deal with the volcano first. So um, yeah, and it burns stuff up, right? I mean, yep. it's and it's and it creates a noxious gas, and there are byproducts of it that you have to live with in the aftermath, and all of those things are um, you deal with in this book. And what you're trying to do is get the church to not just wake up to the reality in which we now live, but prepare the next generation to lead the future church. Exactly. And this preparedness, you can't plan for this world anymore. The whole planning model, nobody planned or had any strategic plan. There was, okay, deal with COVID-19. It's a world where you've got to be in a state of preparedness. Planning models don't work. It's the preparedness. You remember the 10 bridesmaids, 10 we're strategic planners. They said, we're going to trim our wicks because we're going to stick to the plan because we know when the bridegroom is going to come. And five of them said they were the preparers. They said, we have no idea when the bridegroom is coming. You just got to be prepared at every moment for his arrival. And so it's a world now of preparedness, not planning. And that's part of the challenge of this book. Well, and that's part of the challenge for the way that we've maybe all been taught to think. Those of us that went to business school and those of us who you know, you're going to put a ministry plan together. It's going to be a five-year plan. It's going to be a 10-year plan. You know, now we're talking about, you know, a five-day plan or maybe yep. a five-month plan, but and nothing like a... F- that what brought you here to this place is not what go- is not what's going to bring you to the future. That's the big thing. And that, that's why, you know, I, I'm all about, I, I want to know what the best practices are, but you don't adopt those because the world's different. The world's changing this quickly. And so you want to know what is the best practices, what they've been in the past. But... The few, well, they're not going to work in the future. So you partly need to know best practices, but so you know what is not going to work in this future, which is coming at us so fast. So I've been um, reading and listening to you for a long time. Um, uh, Soul Tsunami was my introduction uh, to uh, to Lynn Sweet, and then you spoke at an event that I uh, attended at uh, First Presbyterian Church of Orlando. It's a long time ago now, but I remember it. Um, and and talking about uh, church leadership that is not just future focused but actually walks the walks the church into the future um, is very very different in a Lynn Sweet world than in 
what most seminaries um, have taught over the last generation. Yeah, and it's partly just what you just mentioned, Carmen, is that it's a partly just a simple recognition that where do you find Jesus? And if you read the Gospels carefully, and the whole story of Jesus is that, yes, he pushes us from behind, but where you most find Jesus is he pulls us from the future. He's already in this future calling us to join him. So we don't take Jesus anywhere. Basically, we join him in what he's already doing and up to. So he's a God of the future and pulling us towards him. He he was always going ahead of his disciples, and he went ahead of them. And he's always ahead of us, and he's always calling us to join him in this future. So partly it's just a how do I see Jesus in this future and join him in what he's already doing. All right, I have a listener um, who is uh, Reverend Dr. Castro who tweets as uh, Lava, but spelled L-A-U-V-A, 1956, who was introduced to you. Uh, you're giggling, so I'm wondering if maybe this is a person uh, with whom you have some history. Aqua Church uh, is what uh, Reverend Castro says was his introduction to you. Um, I've already confessed to um, to him that mine was Soul Tsunami. Um, apparently, uh, Dr. Castro's dissertation is based on um, some of your some of your work. So there you go, a little shout out from a listener. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Well, yeah, that's when that was my move from from the tsunami to help people understand that it's a partly what what a tsunami brings is this is a new water world. It's a new aqua world, and so we got to do liquid church. We got to do fluid church. Um, we can't do fixed church anymore. I'm talking with Dr. Leonard Sweet. You can uh, you can find him online. He's not hard to find. LeonardSweet.com. Um, Rings of Fire is the, you know, one of his 50-some books. We're talking about it today. Just came out in November of, of last year, um, and it's prescient. But so is most of uh, Lynn's work. And so if you want a book that's going to help you understand the context that we live in today as Christians, but also um, see in advance the future into which we are going to need to be able to walk by faith as Christians um, and lead others— This is a great book um, for you to not only become educated, but inspired and equipped. Rings of Fire, Walking in Faith Through a Volcanic Future. When we come back, Lynn, one of the things that I want to talk about is Chapter 22, which is political religion. Um, And then uh, I'd love to just talk about how it is that you are able to set mental hooks for us, upon which we can then hang things as they happen which helps us anticipate and prepare to act in the future, because that's what I feel like your particular gift to the church is. So that conversation up next with Lynn Sweet. Continue my conversation with Dr. Leonard Sweet. Uh, let me read um, a couple of sentences here from the opening chapter of Rings of Fire, Walking in Faith Through a Volcanic Future. Uh, We take a fresh look in this book at the global global megatrends affecting the church of the 21st and 22nd centuries, the hot zones worth keeping a watchful eye on, the hot topics that we can't avoid discussing, and the front burner issues making for a hot church along with some hot takes uh, to stimulate further consideration down the road. We approach these megatrends from a faith-based rather than a fear-based posture, and we have no interest in keeping up with the times, but rather in keeping up with Jesus and opening up to God's presence in the times we're in. Uh, Lynn Sweet, talk with us about um, faithfulness in the day in which we live. 
Well, it means, yeah, I, you don't get to choose your moment. I mean, we're all here from a, I say it's a divine uh, appointment or um, an arranged marriage. I mean, in the, the sovereignty of God, God arranged the marriage for us with this moment of time. And I, I'm not prepared for it, and I, I'm, I'm totally uh, not educated for it. But in the sovereignty and mystery and providence of God, God arranged this marriage of Lensuite to this 21st century COVID-19 moment. And so God must think that I have something to, to do and to give and to bless this moment with. And so I'm here trusting God. And partly it's just that that understanding that you don't get to choose your moment, that this is the moment that God has given us to do ministry and to lift up Christ. And so let's get at it and let's do it. For those of you who are not familiar with Leonard Sweet, I want you to check out uh, the website, leonardsweet.com. Um, for those of you who are familiar with him, I know you already want the book, Rings of Fire, Walking in Faith Through a Volcanic Future. Um, let's turn to Chapter 22, um, Political Religion. You know, we are in the midst of uh, of an election season and cycle, um, and this is the way you start this chapter. Politics is the number one religion of U.S. America. Yeah, if I were to write a history of religion in the 21st century, Carmen, the first chapter would be devoted, really, to politics and to political religion and the religion of politics. We've We've either politicized our religious faith or made politics itself into a religious faith. And that is, for me, the very essence of idolatry. And so we have a – we begin with a problem here. I mean, 50 years ago, you would fight over, do I marry somebody of a different faith? Today, you would fight over, do I marry somebody of a different party? I mean, it's become that idolatrous. It's become that – you are uniquely adept at is making observations and then setting mental hooks upon which I can hang things when they happen. I can, uh, because you set a mental hook in my mind to expect to see something, when I see it, I can recognize it 
that is a very unique contribution that you make to um, to church leadership today. Um, and you are kind of wonderfully weird. But where do you feel like you fit? I always worry that sort of the weirdos don't really have a place where they fit in community. Well, I, I for me, it's not fitting in. It's fitting together. And mm. I, I don't. I don't think God calls us to fit in. I think, but I think God does call us all to to fit together. And so that's what we need to do. Is each one of us has a unique gift and a unique, unique grace, and 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 living out of the fruit, it's singular of the Spirit, we have a a contribution to make to the wider body. And um, I mean, for me, I'll give one example here is is the the only thing you you started with. Uh, Rings of Fire, Johnny Cash. He also had another song called Supper Time. Do you remember that, Carmen? Yeah. Yeah. Supper Time. Um, the only place you can go today and take off your mask in public, the table. You have to wear your mask to get to the table. But once at the table, with your table mates, you take off your mask. The table unmasks us all. Hmm. God's table unmasks all of us. And what COVID-19 is doing is help forcing us to go back to the table, to understand the the power of the table. What replaces the temple in Judaism is the table. Jesus has a table ministry. It's time for us to bring back the table, to table it, not when you table it in terms of resolutions, but table it in terms of relationships, bring back the table um, this is the new. This is where children's church always should have been done. Not outsourcing it to the to a building and, a, and, a, and an organization, but right at the table. And so, just one example of how just just looking at this is called semiotics, by the way. But just looking at okay, where where is it possible for us? To, wow, the only place you can take off your mask today is the table, and that's where we are being unmasked. And, it's unmasking us, and, and it's what. A, so, in the midst of even a crisis and a pandemic like the one we have, God is doing something and reminding us that we can all open up our eyes to see it of, of where our future lies. Lynn, you're always working on the next thing, so uh, go ahead and give us a foretaste of what's next. What are you working on? Well, I have a book coming out with uh, one of my doctoral students uh, called Contextual Intelligence, which is how do you read the context that you're in? You have an IQ, intelligence quotient. You have an EQ, emotional quotient. And I'm arguing that there's also a CQ, a contextual quotient. And we have to, the church needs especially, and Christians need to up their their, their contextual quotient. The, the, and then in, in also in November... Um, is coming out. Um, I've started a publishing company where I'm just going to start publishing my own uh, books, and then I, I'm working with a novelist who's one of the one of the top Christian novelists in the country. She's gotten all sorts of awards. The Christian Novel of the Year. Her name is Lisa Sampson, and so she's doing the novels. I'm doing the nonfiction, and we are telling the story of Jesus. It's a three volume thing, but it's, it's uh, but it's telling the story of Jesus. From the standpoint of the donkey, <laughs> you've had children's books that have done this, but we're gonna make, we're gonna help you fall in love with this donkey, and this donkey is the most one of the most interesting characters I think ever been invented, and we've been working hard on this. We've named the donkey Issy, short for Issachar. It's a female donkey, and uh, so the first volume. We, these are very short volumes. Um, 
because they're really just tell, retelling the story of Jesus, Jesus, Jesus like you've never heard it before. Saint is, because Issy calls herself is, I-S. So the book's called Saint Is, and it, it'll be a great Christmas book because uh, it just tells the birth story of Jesus. And the donkey hears the conversation of that long trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem as Mary is nine months pregnant going with Joseph to to register for the for the census and so um there's a lot of fun in this book and and, and I, love uh, that. I hope you'll enjoy it i love that all right we're going to be looking for contextual intelligence we're also going to be looking for saint is the three volume uh, novel coming out at christmas um lynn sweet thank you so much we're going to invite people to visit the web website leonardsweet.com um, Lynn, thank you. Um, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, it's just it's just wonderful. We look forward to the next conversation. Um, all right, friends, we are um, out of time for today. If you didn't get a chance to earlier, go ahead and text me at 877-933-2484. Just to let me know you're out there today. Um, it's just an opportunity for us to connect with one another over the text line. You can text anything. Literally, people are texting anything to 877-933-2484. They're also texting comments about why they listen or where they listen or what they got out of today's program. Lots of uh, lots of encouragement today about the people, uh, the guests who we had conversations with. So we just want to thank God for the way that he puts all of this together and, for, and frankly, for the role of Paul Perot in all of it, because uh, he's the producer behind the scenes making it all happen. So give us a text this morning if you haven't done so already at 877-933-2484. Let us know you're out there. Share your prayer concern. Uh, and just uh, have a great weekend. I'm going to go uh, check in on my folks this weekend. So thanks for your prayers as I do that. We're going to pray for those in the path of Tropical Storm Laura and those in California and Iowa as well. Blessing. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.